you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy. God, may we never forget the depth of your love for us, for each and every one of us. And I pray today, Lord, as we talk about living into your story, Lord, that you would encourage us and give us hope. Sometimes it seems impossible to live God's story in the midst of the world's story. But Lord, not with you. With you, all things are possible. So today, Lord, to that end, may you pour upon me the gift of preaching that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've had two songs this morning that were so powerful that remind us of the impact of the gospel. And that is so important, isn't it? It's so easy to forget, but when we sing it, when we read it, when we hear it, it reminds us of something so important. And this last one, He Is, that we just heard and sang, really that is the embodiment of God's story. When I talk about God's story, that is the hope that's in there, that is the future that's in there, that is the life that we're living into, right? And so just a, a reminder of that, let that, those words wash over us today. Because the last few weeks we've been talking about the theme of our fall series, how living into God's story is central to what an it is well with my soul life looks like. <clears throat> and this question has been central to the church for many centuries. St. Benedict of Nursia here lived in the 6th century, and in his rule of St. Benedict, one of the solemn promises that candidates are required to make for reception into the Benedictine community is called conversatio morum, which translates conversion of life. When these candidates made the promises of conversion of life, they were submitting to the ongoing transformation of their lives to look more like Jesus. In other words, sanctification. Another way to live into God's story. And how did they do that? How did they by committing to be part of Christian community. And this challenge to conversion of life is the challenge every Christian faces in every age. The challenge to live in God's story in the midst of the world story, to help us realize how central God's story is. Last week I asked us to imagine what life might be like if God's story didn't exist. That the only story in which we live and find meaning was the world story. Another way to get a sense of the centrality of God's story is to imagine yourself at the end of your life, looking back, and think about the two stories, the things and values of the world story and the values of God's story. Which ones have the most meaning at the end of your life? Over and over again, 
It's God's story. It's our experiences of God's love and grace. It's the gifts that God has given us in those we love and the promise that we will live beyond this life. And this is a good reminder for each and every one of us. In light of the centrality of God's story, I'm asking us to invest our time and our talent and treasure in St. Andrew's to ensure that God's story is a thriving alternative to the world's story. In our series, It Is Well With My Soul, is a call to commit our time and our talent to intentional community. That together we may encourage one another in our commitment to conversion of life. For it is tough to do it on our own in the face of the world's influence, isn't it? At the beginning of today's passage, it's obvious Paul is distressed for these newly formed churches in Colossae and Laodicea. He says, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. In the face of culture's power and influence, he's worried even in the first century, of how they will remain faithful to Christ and make their way in the world as Christians. You might say Paul is concerned that they will not continue with their conversion of life, as Benedict puts it. Why? What stands in its way? Well, in the book Rhythms of Life that our home groups will be studying this fall, it says what stands in the way is the myth of self authorship. Here's a quote. The myth of self-authorship began long before our era. Genesis 3 recalls how sin entered the world. Adam and Eve deliberately rejected God's goodness, trustworthiness, and authorship and gave in to the temptation to write their own life stories apart from God's presence and authority. But what happened in the garden has happened in every single one of our lives as well. Even in Paul's day, the world embraced self-authorship. Self-authorship basically is sin. It's just when we try to take what is God's and make it our own. We claim our own life as our own, like we did it all ourselves, right? That we don't need God that we can do it all. And so this is what is causing Paul's agony when he begins the passage today because God's story reveals, what God's story reveals is that self-authorship is a myth. In reality, without God, we are lost and forlorn. And when we look around today, of course, nothing has changed in the face of the myth of self-authorship. How, e- how are each of us faring in our own ongoing conversion of life, right? We look around us and we are immersed in the world's story and we're immersed, I think as strong as ever in my life, right, with the myth of self-authorship that we can do it all ourselves and that we don't need God. That can challenge us in our own faith, can it, in our own conversion of life. And what's the best way for us to stay faithful and to walk with Christ? Well, it's interesting, I was reading recently um, a David Brooks column, and he said this, thought it was related. He said, we already know from the work of Yale's Nicholas Christakis that other 
and others that behavior change happens in friend networks. If people in your friend network quit smoking, then you're more likely to quit smoking. If your friend gains weight, you are more likely to gain weight. This is the key point. Your friends strongly influence how you perceive reality. First, they strongly influence how you see yourself. It's very hard to measure your own worth, your own competence, unless people you admire and respect see you as worthy, see you as competent. Second, your friends shape how you see the world. So living in the world's story, if we want to embrace God's story, we may need to commit to a community that will influence us in the right ways. What friends are we hanging out with? What friend groups do we have? Which ones are fundamental and foundational for us? What this is saying is, right, if we want the good things of God's story to be out there in the world, we have to be around one another often enough to rub off on each other and to remind one another. Because if we're together, of course some of us are having a bad time or a tough time of it. Some of us are doubting or struggling. But others of us are really strong in those moments. And we surround one another and encourage one another and pray for one another And in that process, we continue in our conversion of life. So in the face of such strong influences, we need to be immersed in a community that reminds us of who we really are. A community that counters the myth of self-authorship with the true source of our identity, that we are saved by grace. And because of that, we are loved unconditionally. We are fully known and we are fully loved. And we need a community that regularly reminds us how to see, love, and minister to the world around us. Right? As we go out, we are on mission with God. That's how this story, God's story, begins to spread into the world story. Is by you and me. This is the calling God has for us. Here's how Paul describes such a community that can accomplish this. He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Paul is saying that the only way to live God's story in the world story is to commit to spend enough time with one another, to do enough life together that we become knit together by love. Think about that, right? That is a depth of relationship. It's not going to happen casually. Here's how the voice version translates that same verse. It says, I'm working hard to comfort and encourage them so that they will be knit together, that many hearts would become one through his love, right? This is what community, the goal of community, this is the kind of community that we need in order, if we want to live God's story in the midst of the world's story. Many hearts become one through his love. In contrast to the myth of self-authorship, which is one of individualism and aloneness, Paul makes it clear the call to live God's story is not an individual call. We are in this together. We are the body of Christ. 
The author of the Rhythm of Life book, this is another quote, they say, you may have heard or sung worship songs with lyrics such as, you're all I need, God. This isn't the whole picture. When we turn to God as the author of our story, we discover our creational identity, not our self-authored identity, but our creational identity. We were made in the image of God. We receive and we reflect his love. We were made to do so in relationship. So our true creational identity entails being irrevocably created in connection. First to God, then to others. This is what an it is well with my soul life looks like. It is a life immersed in vertical and horizontal relationships. I wanted to tell you just a quick story of that. Um, There are numerous groups that I've been involved in in my life. The first one that I was really involved in was at First Presbyterian Church when I worked there here in town. There was a member there um, who I have known since I was five years old. His name was Tom O'Neill, and Tom started a Friday morning men's Bible study. And every Friday morning for 30 or more years, Tom and a group of men gathered in his den or in his kitchen, and they read the word, and they prayed together, and they encouraged each other, and they would go out uh, to a farm or a ranch once a year and spend the weekend together encouraging each other, hearing each other's testimonies and stories. And over time, they were knit together in love. And we saw it really clearly. I saw it recently because Tom uh, died recently. And when he was near death, just watching this group, even I got involved. I hadn't been to Tom's small group in years, but one of the members called me and he said, hey, can you come? And what we saw was person after person was coming and was surrounding Tom's family with love and with prayers. They were the first ones there with anything that they needed. And now that Tom's gone uh, and the memorial service is over, those guys are still there checking in on his family to make sure they're okay. That is what community produces in us. I remember we had a Thursday morning and Tuesday morning, Thursday morning Bible studies here at the church. And some of you may remember District Attorney Mike Anderson. And he was in there and he uh, had a horrible battle with cancer. And in the final, once that diagnosis was given and the prognosis was not good, that group would travel together over to his house once every week or so. And we would gather in prayer around him and for him. You know, that is what the community is about. That is what, but for us to find that community, we have to sacrifice and we have to invest, right? We have to prioritize it. And I got to tell you, if you're waiting for the world to kind of take a deep breath and give you a break and kind of say, okay, now's the time to join that group, we know it's not going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. We have to prioritize it. We have to make room. And as we do, we experience this life of being knitted together in love. We experience really what the church is supposed to be. And that is what motivates us to keep coming. And so I join Christians today throughout history, from Jesus to Paul to St. Benedict, in calling the church to commit to Christian community. 
in light of the powerful influence of the world story in our lives, may we agree that we need one another to live God's story. To ensure that unconditional love and grace and mercy and forgiveness continue to be central in our lives, right? That is what living into God's story is about. And then through us, for us to take this out into our world of influence. And so each of us, when we leave every day and we go out into the world, there's a group of people that we influence. And that group of people, many of them only know the world's story. What would happen in their lives if they learned about God's story? That is the calling that each of us have. And that's what these communities produce in us is just more and more strength to be able to be light in the world. As David Brooks observed, we must choose our community wisely for they will tell us both who we are and they will shape how we see the world. And to make room for this type of meaningful connection, as I said, is going to take sacrifice and a reprioritization of our lives. And so I'm asking each of us to prayerfully consider the truth of Paul's conviction that community is imperative for the church to be the church. Will you commit to more community this year with your time and your talent? Take the four out of five come home challenge this October. Come to in-person worship. Join the choir. Don't they sound great today? Amen? They sound great today. Join the choir. It's a community that's loving one another and praying for one another. Commit to Sunday school. Become an usher and consider joining one of the home groups where we will study this rhythm book of rhythms of life that I've been quoting from today. And we'll have the opportunity to confront the myth of self-authorship and discover the benefits of our identity in Christ. That is how we experience an it is well with my soul life. Join us. Make time. I promise you, God will bless it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.